0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coming up on Locked On Dodgers. I don't know the truth about everything that happened with Trevor Bauer, but I do know some things that absolutely aren't true, and yet a lot of people are saying them. I'm going to talk about some of the most common inaccurate talking points about the Trevor Bauer situation. I'm also going to talk about a rumor that the Dodgers might be in on Pablo Lopez of the Marlins. And finally, I will debunk another baseball urban legend like I did yesterday. This one isn't about the Dodgers, but it's a fun one that a listener sent in. So that's what's on tap. So let's get Locked On Dodgers. You are Locked On Dodgers, your daily Los Angeles Dodgers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Dodger fans, this is Locked On Dodgers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Dodgers your first listen every weekday morning. Remember, this show is free and available on all podcast platforms and on YouTube simply by searching for Locked On Dodgers. Or even better, go and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening right now, and then you will never miss a day because you know we're not going to. If this is your first time with us, I am Jeff Snyder. My normal co-host is Vince Samperio, although it's just me today. Vince and I are both lifelong Dodger fans just like you are. We've also both spent time covering the Dodgers in the press box and the locker room, so we're not quite insiders, but we bring you the smart fan's perspective on our boys in blue every weekday morning. And that's the plan for today. Uh, A lot on tap to get to, going to talk in the second segment about a rumor that the Dodgers might be interested in Pablo Lopez of the Marlins. And then in the third segment, I will talk about a baseball urban legend involving Jose Canseco. Uh, But first, I want to talk a little bit about Trevor Bauer. No, I don't. I I, I never want to talk about Trevor Bauer. I I don't like this situation. I think it's annoying, um, but it is big news right now. And I think that there's some things that, like, I don't have an axe to grind with Trevor Bauer. I I have nothing, like, I was excited when the Dodgers signed him. I understood the concerns that people had because of his online persona, but I thought those concerns were mostly kind of overblown. Like, uh, even this specific, you know, the... The bullying online. Yeah, I, I think Trevor Bauer is immature uh and isn't a super likable guy online. But uh I I think I I thought then and still believe that a lot of the things were wrong. there was an article, Deadspin, I think, uh, wrote Trevor Bauer has tweeted at this uh, college female uh 47 times in the last 24 hours or something. Um and then you look at it, and it was actually she had tweeted at him and and there was like several people involved in the thread and so he was responding to the thread and on twitter when you respond to a thread it goes to everybody on the thread and so yeah he had sent 47 tweets or whatever that went to her because she was in the conversation and he was having an online conversation it wasn't a extremely mature conversation or anything like that but it wasn't the online bullying that it was portrayed to be uh and, and you know it, it was not to say it was right or good, uh, but for me, I—I uh, don't—I I have this thing about the truth. I am a big fan of facts and the truth, and along with that goes one of my big pet peeves is people presenting thing as things as fact that either are false or have at least not been proven, and presenting falsehoods as truth. It, it drives me crazy, and. There's a lot of that going on with Trevor Bauer right now, uh, among his supporters, mostly, uh, at least that's what I've seen. A- and, you know, I'm sure there's things that that his accusers are saying that aren't proven to be true, that they're saying as truth. And uh, but the ones that I'm seeing a lot of and and not just like I'm seeing a lot from strangers, but also from people I know and like and respect. Uh, I, I'm seeing these talking points. And so I just want to address a couple of those. Uh, and and it, the reason that came up in my mind, uh, David Cohn, former pitcher David Cohn on his podcast, Towing the Slab, he talked about the PR nightmare that is for the Dodgers. And uh, somebody commented on that. Um, and, and it's a per- it was on Instagram and, and this person commented and it was, I'll, I'll just read the comment. This person says, Keyword, you said it, was alleged. Everything was dropped. So at this point, how are you going to call it a PR nightmare, especially for the Dodgers who already have Julio Urias on the roster who was found guilty and served 20 games? Hypocritical. Okay, that is a perfect example of stating something as fact that is clearly incorrect. Like, okay, the comparison to Julio. Julio, uh, legally speaking, is in basically the same exact situation as Trevor Bauer. He was, you know, investigated by the police, no charges were filed, and he was suspended by Major League Baseball. The two key differences are, A, Julio was suspended for 20 games, Bauer was suspended for 194 games, and B, everyone involved in the Julio situation, including the alleged victim, agrees that, there was, that no crime took place. That's not the case in Bauer's case. That doesn't mean a crime did take place. I'm just saying in Julio's, everyone agrees there was no crime. In Bauer's case, there is one party that is still actually three parties, uh, but one party in the the California case insisting that a crime took place. That's a key difference. And so I don't know what this Instagram idiot thinks that Julio was found guilty of uh, because there were no charges filed just like with Bauer. And, you know, there was an agreement that that they would drop the charges in exchange for him not getting into trouble for a year and, you know, going to anger management or something. It was, you know, th- there is no found guilty. So that, that got me thinking about this. And, and there's been a couple other talking points that I've seen a lot of. I've seen a lot of people saying Trevor Bauer was proven innocent in court, in a court of law. He wasn't. Uh, for one thing, no one has in the history of the United States legal system no one has ever been proven innocent in a legal in a criminal court uh, nobody gets proven innocent either you get proven guilty or you get found not guilty. No jury has ever said we find the the defendant innocent we find them not guilty, meaning he hasn't been proven to be guilty and the The thing that I assume these people are talking about the restraining order case where the uh, Bauer's alleged victim uh, sued for a file for a restraining order and the judge denied that, saying that there was no ongoing threat. That was not a criminal court, that was a restraining order hearing. And so, while Bauer won that hearing, and Bauer and his representatives claim that that means that he's been cleared of all wrongdoing, he has not. Uh, the fact that the district attorney opted not to file charges, doesn't prove Bauer innocent. It says that the district attorney didn't think there was enough evidence to convict him in a criminal court where the burden of proof is beyond a reasonable doubt. District attorneys are elected officials who care about their success rate in court. A district attorney is not going to bring charges if he doesn't believe that, if he or she doesn't believe that they can win, convict the person they bring charges against. Uh, or at least have a, a good chance of conviction. That's why they didn't file charges, because they didn't believe they had a good chance of conviction. That doesn't mean that they think that he's innocent even. It just means that they didn't think they could convict him beyond a reasonable doubt, which is pretty common. And he said, she said cases. Uh, so I'm not saying Bauer is guilty. I'm saying factually, the truth is he has not been proven innocent. He hasn't even been found not guilty he just didn't have charges filed. The other one that I'm seeing is he didn't do anything wrong. And uh, the fact is, the fact is he was suspended for 194 games, the longest suspension in the history of Major League Baseball's joint policy on domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. And he is the only player ever suspended under that policy for sexual assault. That's Those are the facts. If Rob Manfred had been better at his job and had suspended Bauer for 194 games originally, and the arbitrator came back and said, I uphold this 194-game suspension, maybe people would see it differently. People, I think, are seeing that Bauer's suspension was shortened uh, and he was immediately reinstated. I think people are taking that to mean that Bauer won his appeal. Uh, In a way, Bauer won the appeal because suspension was shortened. Bauer was still suspended for 194 games after seven or eight months of testimony where an independent arbitrator who's been doing this for 40 years heard witness after witness both for and against, and he decided a 194-game suspension was appropriate. That's the facts that we have. I don't know what the witnesses said. I don't know what the basis for the arbitrator's decision was, but the fact is After hearing all this evidence, the arbitrator determined that 194 game suspension was appropriate for violation of the league's policy on sexual assault. To me, that doesn't sound like he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, Somewhere along the line, he violated the the league's policy. I don't know what happened there. Nobody does. The arbitrator has a better idea than we do. And, And the burden of proof is less in an arbitration than it is in a criminal court. But the The fact is he was suspended longer than anyone's ever been suspended before for violation of this policy if you're arguing that you think the arbitrator was out to get him and colluding with major league baseball, make that argument, but you cannot with a straight face say that he didn't do anything wrong unless you're saying the arbitrator got it wrong, and that's the argument you should you should be making anyway that that's all I have to say about the Bauer situation It's just these things like i i I don't mind discourse about this. I just, it drives me crazy to have people repeating these falsehoods and making themselves look unintelligent or uninformed uh, in the process because we don't have many facts. And so we shouldn't be just disregarding the few facts that we do have and blatantly violating those. We have some facts, let's at least stick to those. I'm gonna come back in a minute and not talk about Trevor Bauer. I'm gonna talk about a different starting pitcher, Pablo, Pablo Lopez of the Marlins, who the Dodgers might be interested in getting. So thanks for making Locked On Dodgers your first lesson every weekday morning, and please keep it Locked On Dodgers. This episode is brought to you by Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from pro football to college bowl season to basketball and everything else. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. We are always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, I am back. I want to thank you again for making Locked on Dodgers your first listen every weekday morning. When you're done here for your second listen, check out Locked on MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Uh, so back to actual baseball talk, uh, there was an article on Bleacher Report talking about 10 possible landing spots for Pablo Lopez of the Marlins, who uh, I don't think it's a sure thing Lopez is going to get traded, but there are a lot of teams looking for starting pitching and uh, Pablo Lopez is at least available and he's a solid starting pitcher. And so uh, it, it's reasonable that he would be a team, that, a player that's linked to a lot of teams. One of those teams that this article links into is the Dodgers. And I want to read what Bleacher Report uh, said about that. It says, one of the major remaining questions for the Dodgers going into the 2023, 2023 season is whether they have enough starting pitching. Remember, this is a staff that dealt with injury issues last year and still managed to post the lowest ERA and whip in baseball. The Dodgers flaws still couldn't keep them from winning 111 games and boasting the game's most accomplished staff statistically yet it is still fair to ask whether adding Noah Syndergaard to a rotation with Clayton Kershaw, Julio Aureus, Tony Gonsolin, and Dustin May is good enough. Kershaw had two stints on the injured list last year with back injuries, and it's not like he's getting any younger. May just recently returned from Tommy John surgery, while Gonsolin has not pitched a full season since 2019. Walker Buehler is also now recovering from his second Tommy John surgery since 2015. Lopez would provide the Dodgers with some depth and a potential safety net for a staff that, while elite, has some health concerns. Keep in mind, he was a Dodgers target at the trade, line, trade deadline last year, but the two teams couldn't agree to a deal with the Marlins asking for a big return. So that, that's the that's the impetus, the basis for this conversation. And yeah, Pablo Lopez, he, he would check some boxes. It, it's I agree with this article that to the extent that there are concerns about the Dodgers starting pitching, it's health-related. Uh, it's not really performance. I think all five of those starters that the Dodgers have, you can reasonably expect to be at least reasonably good when they're on the mound. But there's plenty of reason to wonder about the durability of, you know, several of those five Uh, maybe even all five depending on, you know, Julio has been healthy the last two years. Uh, Everybody else it's like, okay, well there's some health concerns and Julio has had health concerns earlier in his career. So, with all that said, the, the concerns are health-related, and so the idea of having an innings eater, a and not just an innings eater, but a solid, a good pitcher on the roster, even if it bumps them to a six-man rotation, uh, I, don't, I don't hate that idea. I'm not totally sure, though, that Pablo Lopez is the right fit for that. For one thing, I'm not sure that Pablo Lopez would bump them to a six-man rotation because I would guess the Marlins would want a young pitcher as part of the package in return, for Lopez. And if they wanted a young major league pitcher, uh, I mean, Tony Gonsolin's really the only option there. Uh, They're not going to trade Dustin May too much potential there. Uh, Obviously, Kershaw and Julio aren't going anywhere. Uh, You know, and and Ryan Pepe, I don't think moves a needle as far as headlining, headlining a package like that. I wouldn't trade Gonsolin for Lopez straight up. Even Gonsolin has two more years of control than Lopez does. And he's, been better than lopez throughout their careers and significantly better last year and yeah lopez he made 32 starts he threw 100 and uh 190 innings something like that 180 innings uh last year both of those would have led the dodgers 32 starts 180 innings pitch both would have led the dodgers but he had a 375 er he was he was good but he wasn't great and that's the only time in his career he's made more than 21 starts and thrown more than 111.1 innings. He is, uh, other than 2022, he has those same exact concerns that we're talking about with the Dodger rotation. He hasn't proven to be a workhorse. He was a workhorse in 2022. Uh, but I, I'd, I'd want more than one year of track record. And, and so where I come down on Lopez is I would like to have Pablo Lopez. I think he's good. I think he could get better with the Dodgers. I think he has good stuff. And I think the Dodgers pitching, uh, pitching coaches and everything could help him become an even better pitcher. I think he would be a very good pickup for the right price. The problem is that's our bleacher reports writing an article about 10, 10 possible landing spots for Pablo Lopez. There's going to be a lot of demand for Pablo Lopez. And so, when I say I'd like to have Lopez for a reasonable price, it's hard to picture the Marlins settling for a reasonable price when they have 10 potential landing spots for him. Some team is going to want him more than the Dodgers do. And, you know, if they could work the trade and have it be just four prospects and, you know, none of the top four prospects who I said yesterday I consider untouchable in most realistic trades, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, if Pepio could headline a, a deal for Lopez, Pepio, and one or two, uh, you know, lower prospects, great. I don't think that deal is going to get it done from the Marlins side because there's going to be more demand. Somebody's going to offer more than that. And I don't think it would make sense for the Dodgers to include Tony Gonsolin, Uh And I definitely don't think it would make sense to include one of their top four prospects. And so, It seems like they're not going to get it done because he doesn't move the needle enough. Sandy Alcantara, if the Marlins want to trade that guy, yeah, we'll give up some stuff for Sandy Alcantara. Uh, But for Pablo Lopez, he's not the pitcher that Sandy Alcantara is, and he is not worth uh, giving up a huge package for, basically, especially because they don't actually need him. The Dodgers have five starting pitchers right now who are very good, or at least potentially very good. Noah Syndergaard, I don't know what we're going to get from him, but, you know, worst case scenario, he's a he's a decent fifth starter. As long as he's healthy, uh, you know, health, assuming all five guys are healthy, it's going to be a very good rotation. And then they have five guys waiting in the wings. They have guys who've pitched in the majors and Pepio and Michael Grove and Andre Jackson. And then they have Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone, who haven't made the majors yet, aren't on the 40-man roster yet, but both have pitched in AAA, are pretty much ready for the big leagues, at least at some point this season. And so uh, they don't necessarily need another starting pitcher because even if one or even two or three guys go down with injury, they have guys who can fill in. And at the trade deadline, trade deadline, they can address those needs uh, if those needs arise. Uh, but that's my thoughts on Pablo Lopez. I'd love to have the eye for the right price. I don't think it's going to happen. So that, that's uh, all I have to say about that. I'm going to come back in a minute. Uh, One more segment. I'm going to, yesterday, I talked about the urban legend about Chase Utley uh, telling a pitcher to hit him on purpose to teach one of his young teammates a lesson, and I talked about how that never actually happened. Well, a listener asked me about a story involving Jose Canseco. In fact, a story told by Jose Canseco himself. So I did some digging and have some fun uh, results to share about that. So thank you again for making Locked On Dodgers your first listen every weekday morning, and please keep it Locked On Dodgers. I am back. I want to thank you again for making locked on Dodgers your first listen. If you're watching on YouTube, I'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments down below. Uh, if you're commenting about Trevor Bauer, I hope that you, uh, at least listen to the words I said. Uh, that seems to be one of the common, uh, common denominators among this Bauer discourse is people talking past each other instead of addressing things that were actually said. So, uh, if you disagree with something I actually said, I'd love to hear it. If you agree with something I said, I'd love to hear it. If you disagree with something you heard, but I didn't actually say, I'm not as interested in hearing that, but hey, it's free country. Comment if you want. If you're listening as a podcast, love to hear from you on social media or email or whatever. I'll give you all the contact info in a minute at the end. So uh, we had a listener. uh, It was Frankie G who commented on YouTube actually on yesterday's episode and he said, hey, Jeff, in the book Juiced by Jose Canseco, he talks about hitting a home run so hard and low that it looked like a line drive to the outfield. It was so low to, that the shortstop jumped to attempt to catch it. Do you think you can find the game and in inning that this happened? i do it, but I have to head out to work right now. The game was in Anaheim Stadium, so I'm guessing he was playing against the Angels. Uh, and, you know, th- there was – I, I haven't read Canseco's book, uh, but I, I do have access to it. And so I found the passage in question. And uh, there were enough details here that I was able to find the home run he's talking about. Um, he, He talks about how he used to swing just, he was a crazy swinger, swinging balls in the dirt, swinging hard at everything coming at him. And he said, but that was part of what got people excited about watching me. People used to say that watching me swing and miss was more entertaining than watching other hitters swing and hit a home run. I was swinging so hard like there was no tomorrow. And they knew that if I got all of a ball, it would do things they had never seen a baseball do before. He, he goes on to say, probably the funniest example of that was a game in Anaheim early in my career. I still have this play on tape. Mike Witt threw me a slider down and away, and I took a big swing and made good contact, but off the bat it looked like a low liner and the shortstop Dick Sco- uh, to the shortstop Dick Schofield. He actually jumped up in the air thinking he was going to catch it, and that's how low to the ground it was. But it sailed over his head, and as it headed toward the outfield, it just kept rising. I hit it with such good backspin that it hydroplaned like a golf ball and just rode the wind all the way out of the ballpark. There's a line drive over short, as announcer Bill King said over the radio. It's in the gap. It's gone. It was freakish. I ran hard down to first base thinking it was a line drive just over the shortstop's head, but all of a sudden I saw it go out. Did that ball really go out, I asked someone? Uh, I... I couldn't believe it. That was probably one of the best technical swings I've ever had in my life. and I guess it proved that you can hit a home run that never gets higher than 20 feet off the ground. As I ran the bases, the other players were all giving me stuff about it saying they couldn't believe it went out. We were all laughing. Just goes to show you, you never know what you're going to see on any one day at the ballpark. I like to think I made people feel that way a lot of times in my career. That's the story that Jose Canseco tells in his book. Uh, There's details there at Anaheim stadium. Pitcher, Mike Witt, shortstop, Dick Schofield. Uh, Well, Jose Canseco only hit two home runs in his career off Mike Witt, and uh, Dick Schofield wasn't the shortstop for either of them, uh, and only one of them happened in Anaheim. So it's really easy to find the home run in question. It happened on, uh, where is it? April 18th, 1990. Uh, Jose Canseco hit a home run to left center field, It was in the uh, top of the seventh inning, the uh, runner on first base, Carney Lansford on first base, the Angels were leading one to nothing. And with two outs and a two and two count, Canseco hit a home run to left center field to score him and Carney Lansford put the A's up two to one. They ended up winning by a score of three to one. Uh, And as fate would have it, I was able to find a video Of this home run, Uh, it was on a highlight video of Canseco's from 1990. Canseco's highlight video from 1990. And there's this home run that he hits. And the shortstop was Mark McLemore. And the ball does go over Mark McLemore's head. McLemore does not jump up as if he's going to catch it. Because when it got to McLemore, it was 30 feet over his head. It was a line drive. But it was not a line drive that any shortstop ever would have thought he might have had a chance of catching. Uh, it, it just wasn't. McLemore did turn and run to the outfield as if he was going to go be the cutoff man because he thought it was going to be a double to left center field. It was hit low enough that people were surprised it got out. Uh, and and that's something. That is uh, kind of what Canseco saying. He hit it low. But I'm just watching the video again right now. You know, it's a two and two pitch. Canseco, it's a slider, uh, some sort of slider. Canseco rips it. Macklemore doesn't jump. And the ball, when you see the ball in the outfield, you think it's a gapper. And then it does barely clear the wall in the outfield. Uh, Canseco said that everybody was laughing with him and giving him crap as he rounded the bases. You watch the video. Nobody was any, none of the Angels players were anywhere near him while he was, rounding the bases when he gets to home plate he's not laughing with Carney Lansford you can uh, you can see Canseco mouth the words wow that was a shot i think is what he says uh and on the replay the announcer says that ball never got more than 15 feet off the ground which just shows that that announcer was bad at estimating the number of feet a ball is off the ground because it was, you know, these days we would actually know its maximum height because Statcast would tell us. I would guess 55 or 60 feet, which is very low for a home run, but it's a lot more than 15. It, it never looked like it was going to be caught by Marco McLemore, who is not Dick Schofield. Uh, it was just, it wasn't even like I've seen home runs like this. and And yeah, they're impressive, but it wasn't really – that big a deal. But because Jose Canseco is writing about it in his book, the funny thing is he says he still has it on tape. And I wonder if he does, why didn't he watch it before he wrote about it? Because, uh, like it's one thing I I said yesterday that I, I get it. If you wrote a book before baseball reference was a thing and, and Canseco's book, I think came out in 2001, 2002, something like that, uh, before, uh, Actually, it might've been after that. Anyway, it was early 2000s, baseball reference. I don't think the play index uh, or what's it, what called Stathead. it's called now. I don't think that existed back then. So it wasn't as easy to find these things. This clip wasn't on YouTube then. This particular clip was uploaded six years ago. And so, but if he had the tape, why didn't he watch it? Uh, maybe because it didn't fit his narrative and he knew that nobody else would check him on it. Well, today... January 5th, 2023, Jose Canseco, somebody checked you on it. And those somebodies are Frankie G and Jeff Snyder. And uh, we marked that one. I had to come up with a terminology that we when we debunk one of these baseball urban legends, you know, the uh, PolitiFact or whatever has the the three Pinocchios or whatever. Uh, I'm not going to use that terminology, but I have to come up with something. But uh, two days in a row now, uh, Peter Peter Gammons told a false story about Chase Utley. And now Jose Canseco told a false story about Jose Canseco. Uh, So uh, let's keep those coming. This is fun. And and, uh, I don't know what's fun for you guys. If if you hate these, let me know and I'll stop doing them. But uh, it's baseball history. I really like baseball. Uh, Even when it's not the Dodgers, I enjoy baseball history, baseball trivia, and this sort of thing. There's so many resources available. I think it's a lot of fun. So with that said, that's going to do it for me for today, I think. Uh, I hope. My rant about the Trevor Bauer discourse came across the way it was intended. Uh, Again, I'm not saying he's guilty or innocent. I'm saying he hasn't been proven innocent uh, and he was suspended after months and months of witnesses and testimony and evidence was presented. So uh, those are the facts we have. Uh, And, you know, I'm not in favor of Pablo Lopez if they have to give up a bunch for him. And Jose Canseco lied in his book. That's our summary for today. Thank you for making Locked On Dodgers your first listen every weekday morning. Now, for your second listen, check out Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. If you're not watching or listening to Locked On Dodgers every weekday morning, we'd love if you'd add one or two days a month to your rotation. If you have friends or family who love the Dodgers like you do, please tell them about the show. Maybe they'll like it as much as you do. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter. At Locked On Dodgers. Vince is on Twitter at Vince Semperio. I'm on Twitter at Snydog, and the DMs are open in all of those places. Our email address is lockedondodgers at gmail.com. And our phone number for voicemails or text messages is 323 863 Lock 5625. We are here every weekday morning, and we hope you'll be here with us. When you get in your car or sit on your couch, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Dodgers. And remember, you don't have to agree, you just have to listen. We'll talk to you tomorrow.